1: Blue the Denver Nuggets select Michael Porter Jr. But I'm going to make sure that this pick is this organization's best pick they've ever made. Forrest inside. And a the Jokic. Put it out. Jokic. Agree. Agree. And green. Jokic. Let Jokic away.
0: Welcome in to a new edition of the Rocky Mountain Hoops Podcast, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I am your host, TJ McBride from MileHighSports.com, your home for all Colorado sports, and the Denver Nuggets just won Game 5, forcing a Game 6 against the Los Angeles Clippers to extend this series. Denver had to dig deep. They had not led since the third quarter of Game 3, and somehow in Game 5, the Denver Nuggets got their first lead of the night on a Michael Porter Jr. three-pointer with just a few minutes left in the fourth quarter to help propel them to their f- one of their biggest victories in the f- in this iteration of the Denver Nuggets franchise. Really, really impressive gutsy stuff from the Nuggets tonight. And in order to fully encapsulate what happened in this game, I actually joined the two one three hoops guys, as we have already had on this show before, of Lucas Han and now Robert Flom and Dr. Shap, to talk about a whole bunch of stuff about this series. So that's what we did. There was multiple of us just kind of shooting the shit about everything that happened in this, uh, in this game five. How the Nuggets were able to force a game six. How Marcus Morris's scuffle with Paul Millsap maybe gave Denver the energy to keep going. How the Montrez Harrell minutes are a disaster for the Clippers, and so much more. It was really, really a fun show once again, because those guys are awesome. They know what they're doing, they know what they're talking about, and they know that Clippers team inside and out. So make sure you go check out everything the guys over at 213 Hoops do, because it's awesome what they are able to do i mean the podcast is called the lob the jam the podcast it is such a good show so please 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 take the time to go listen to what they're doing to subscribe to their show wherever you listen to podcasts and to go to 213hoops.com and to read their stuff also follow them at 213hoops on uh, twitter by the way, this show today is brought to you by Indeed and also Bet Online. Uh, Indeed is a new sponsor of the show. You're about to hear a lot about them, um, in here in just a very brief second. And also, make sure you are subscribing to Greg Olson's T E One, his new show, bringing on different tight ends of all the, like legendary Hall of Fame caliber tight ends. Tony Gonzalez was on the show most recently to talk about how the how, how that position has shifted. Such a great show. Please, please, please go subscribe to that as well we're going to take our first quick break and then on the other end you will hear the conversation that i got to have with lucas hand dr Shap, robert flom and all the guys over at 213 hoops even though sports have had a break your business did not you have to keep moving and that makes hiring more important than ever indeed is here to help indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because indeed gets you the best people unlike other sites indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring you only pay for what you need and you can pause your account at any time there are no long-term contracts Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier, like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. So right now, Indeed is offering our listeners of the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast and the Blue Wire podcast network A free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions do apply and the offer is valid through September 30th.
1: What's up, everyone? It's the love, the jam, the podcast. I'm Chapon. coming to you with Always with Rob. How are you doing, Rob? I'm doing always, well, you know. I, you I get it's Usually. Always. <laughs> I Always? Usually. I said it for him for so long, I can't change it. <laughs> Rob is here. I'm excited. And we have things to be sad about. Rob, what's up?
2: You know, I think it's only fitting that I come back when the Clippers <laughs> blow a game in pretty hilarious fashion. Uh, I get to be Eeyore. You know, this is what I'm used to. I'm not used to good times. You guys could talk about fun stuff and, and happiness, and now I'm, I'm here to be sad and to criticize Marcus Morris.
1: Oh, boy. Talk about the same old clips. We also have Lucas here. Lucas, what's up? Well, I'm here to criticize Montrose Harrell, so it'll be a good show. Yeesh, we also uh, we have a special guest who is here, was here a few episodes ago, back when things were all out in the open. We have TJ mcbride joining us very much tj of course is from mile high sports and does a rocky mountain hoops pod and it's probably a little bit more excited than we are tj how you doing
0: honestly i'm just here to complain about all nuggets fans so we can find a way to all come together in our complaining so i'm very looking very much so looking forward to that
1: oh boy well i am ready to complain it's been a long time since the clippers lost a game that was just such a downer i feel like you know the the Luka shot was, was you know, awesome for Luka, and there was just Luka being great, and the Clippers had a little comeback at the end here. This was just like an old-school uh, Clippers double-digit lead in a deciding game, and, uh, and was lost. 111-105, the Denver Nuggets defeat your Los Angeles Clippers in what was a great comeback in the second half, really a second half that the Nuggets controlled that probably could have been there sooner if it wasn't for a brief Marcus Morris spurt in the third quarter. Just a... Uh, barrage of three-pointers from, um, from Nikola Jokic, from Jamal Murray, from Jeremy Grant, and then of course, Michael Porter Jr. Um, I'm sure we can start with you, TJ, and just your general vibe of this great comeback, great gritty win for your Denver Nuggets.
0: Yeah, it felt like Michael Porter is the ultimate no, 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 yes player at this point. And that's really how the end of the game kind of manifested itself. Nothing felt stable. Nothing felt in control. Denver didn't feel like they necessarily had momentum. They just kind of had the arbitrary factor go in their favor. And they had a really talented 6-10 score who happened to hit one gigantic three after seemingly being froze out of the offense for three quarters. So it was a very bizarre feeling. But regardless of what happened in game six, I think all Nuggets fans and even the Nuggets organization itself, this win makes this season feel like a gigantic victory for the Nuggets so even if they lose coming up at 1pm on Sunday or whatever that time frame is going to be this Denver Nuggets team is in a place now that they feel like they can contend with anybody not just in the regular season but in the playoffs they have brought it to the Clippers and they have at least made their presence known there's no more denying that they can hang with this team because really if you go back and look at them barely losing out on that game 3 victory or that game three lost that they should have won. This is a whole different series. So Denver is hung right there. Even though they're not the same team, they're not nearly as good as this Clippers team in terms of talent, they have been able to assert themselves. And that is as promising as anything that has happened in these playoffs.
1: This could absolutely be two, uh, three, two, the other way, for sure. Especially with that game that they just barely lost in game three, Robert, what do you have to say, sir?
2: You know, honestly, even though I'm, I can be sad about this game and, you know, complain and, and whatnot, and I'm going to love hearing Lucas rant about Montres Harrell and, and Doc River's play of him. This wasn't as depressing for me as I think it was for a lot of Clippers fans in my timeline uh, on Twitter who are kind of melting down. Um, you know, the thing was this game was swung in the third quarter, not the fourth. And the Clippers' offense in the third quarter was mostly fine. They were really missing a ton of open shots. Paul George missed several. Lou Williams missed a couple. Even Kawhi Leonard missed a couple. You know, they were maybe a little jumper happy, but their offense was getting open looks. They were moving the ball well, and they were still playing decently on defense. I think that, you know, maybe they lost the crispness that they'd had at at the first quarter when they looked great. But overall, I thought they were still playing well, just shots weren't falling. Um... But that's when the Nuggets made their run. And then the fourth quarter, things just kind of came unglued a little bit. And you know what happens? The Nuggets are good. They're really resilient. Nikola Jokic is one of, you know, the seven or eight best players in the NBA. And he was able to get on track a little bit. So I don't know. I mean, I predicted the Clippers would win in six. I was leaning more towards Clippers in seven than Clippers in five uh, before the series. I was actually, you know, I would have been pretty surprised if they won the series in five. So, this is not that unusual. You know, it's a bad outcome. It was a bad loss, but I'm not that stressed out about it. I think, as long as they have a healthy Kawhi Leonard, I think they're probably going to be fine. Uh, you know, there are some deep rooted issues that we're seeing in this series that we also saw in the Mav series, but we can probably talk about those uh, later on in the pod.
1: Lucas, my fellow Clippers and five cohort. Um, we talk we talk a lot about the process, and I agree with Rob. There were good shots in the third. Yeah. The Clippers just couldn't hit any of them until Marcus Morris hit a couple. And then maybe a little bit in the fourth with those Kawhi threes, I felt they were kind of bailed out even just to – they were just kind of in the mud. And then Denver felt like they got a little tight, and there was a shot right there, that Lou Williams shot, I kind of felt was the game, like that he missed It was yeah. wide open. I was like, if he hits that shot, this could be going the other way. I mean, so – Kind of going along with the lines of Rob, like was this a matter of the Clippers just not being able to hit their shots and, and, the, and the Nuggets winning this away? How, how disappointed are you from this loss?
3: I mean, it's never it's never one thing, right? You never lose the right. game one way. So first of all, you've got, I think, right, what TJ and Robert talked about, which is totally true. I've said from the jump, from our series preview before we saw these two teams take the court against each other, the Nuggets are the clear third best team in the western conference they got the to the three seed for a reason they were able to get out of a first round series against the utah jazz by the way again like we keep saying it without two starters the utah jazz aren't aren't great but they aren't bad and the nuggets beat them in the first round series without two starters to get into this round they're not here by accident they're not a team that you're going to blow out i think that the national narrative all series long. And this isn't me like, Oh, now that the Clippers dropped two games, I'm giving them credit. Like I was saying this from the very beginning, the national narrative is totally underappreciating how good Denver is, but the Clippers are better. The Clippers are a better team. They're a more talented team. And for them to, you know, the Clippers have a margin of error against this Nuggets team. It's not massive, but not you don't need to play your best game to beat the nuggets if you're the Clippers. And I think they showed that in game three, they did not play their best game in game three Uh, and in game four, where the Clippers shot the ball really poorly and still beat Denver. That's what makes these losses so frustrating is the Clippers have a little bit of a margin for error, but Denver shoots 44% from deep uh, that, you know, they go, I think what, five of seven, six of eight from three in the fourth quarter, uh, the Montrez Harrell minutes for the Clippers, the amount of time that it feels like the Clippers both in games four and five of this series have got a good open look from three. That would have been a backbreaking shot for Denver and missed it. Like these things all add up together to produce a narrow margin defeat like the Clippers had tonight. And there's a lot of stuff in there that you can't control. You cannot control that Jamal Murray is going to bank in and off the dribble three. Like that's, you know what I mean? You just have to shrug, right? And you can't even necessarily control the Clippers own misses. Although like, I don't really get why we're doing offense defense with Patrick Beverly, Lou Williams, when Lou hasn't like hit a three in a month, but what the Clippers absolutely can control is doc rivers rotations. And in my mind, the Clippers have had four losses so far this postseason, and three of those losses would have been wins if Doc Rivers did not overplay Montrezl Harrell. The Clippers are probably, I think that I had Clippers in six coming into the series. I adjusted when they were up 3-1. I thought they would win today, but my original prediction was Clippers in six. I think that they'll win game six and, and go on to the Western Conference Finals and survive this. But you get, the further you get into the playoffs, the less Doc Rivers can spot the other team wins by overplaying his pet player instead of doing the best thing for the team. It happened again today. This is a Trez-Doc loss, just like game two against Dallas, just like game four against Dallas. It's a Trez-Doc loss. And Denver's legitimately good enough to beat the Clippers on a night that is not a Trez-Doc loss. So you really can't give them, like, you can't give them a free game. And if Doc Rivers, like, people are, you know, everyone's expecting Clippers-Lakers seven-game Western Conference finals, right? If the Clippers get out of this round against Denver, you definitely can't give the Lakers a free game. But he, he keeps on giving teams free games in the playoffs by playing Montrez Harrell, who statistically, last year in the playoffs and this year in the playoffs, the Clippers have their best offensive rating when he is off the court, their worst, or their worst offensive rating when he is on the court, their best defensive rating when he is off the court, and their worst defensive rating when he is on the court. He is like, it's not just that he's a, oh, he scores, but he's bad on defense. They are miserable offensively when he's on the court because he's not that great against a set, a good team playing set defense in the playoffs. He's been the Clippers' worst player by far on both ends of the court, last playoffs and this playoffs. And he is like single-handedly holding this team back from having swept in the first round and won this series in five games.
1: DJ, uh, a comeback is always exhilarating from the other side. Um, I kind of wanted to ask you, so what did you feel the Nuggets were doing right in those minutes where they had those onslaught of threes? And from somebody on the other side, we complain about Trez a lot in his defensive and rebounding in- in capabilities. Do you kind of feel that when Trez is in the game as far as you guys having chances, uh, cutting into the lane, And getting offensive boards, what do you feel is your time to strike against this Clipper team? And did they strike today at that time?
0: Yeah, the Nuggets attack Trez the second they get an opportunity to. Like Any team in the playoffs knows if you want to beat this Clippers team, you attack their bench unit relentlessly. Lou Williams, Reggie Jackson, who is no longer obviously playing in this rotation, and Montrez Harrell do not have the defensive capabilities to keep anybody in front of them. Trez can have some rim protection sometimes when he's already in position, but we didn't see that tonight. Nikola Jokic hit enough threes in the second half to pull Trez out of that paint, and then suddenly you have the opportunity to not only attack Tres, but attack him in space. And that's what Denver was able to do over and over and over again. For the Nuggets, what went right for them was just purely intensity. They were flying around. They weren't doing everything correctly. Honestly, they were probably doing more things incorrectly than correctly, but the effort they were giving throughout that entire fourth quarter is what was able to manufacture a lot of those stops. Like, Kawhi missed a lot of shots that were mostly open, but they were open because a player was rapidly closing out from a crazy scramble on the other side of the floor which then he's still contesting the shot it just wasn't as um, it wasn't one of those kinds of running off the line kind of contest you're too far away they were still flying out to him and that helped Denver's just pure intensity their relentlessness their refusal to quit in that fourth quarter is what allowed them to win this game none of it it was execution none of it was them um, able to find mismatches to explore other than Tres which isn't necessarily anything that's revolutionary. they just played hard and they attacked the guy who's worse on defense and sometimes that's all it takes to be able to win games of this magnitude.
3: Well and I mean the clippers like everyone talks about the Lou Trez pairing right because they're both six man of the year finalists off the bench and in the regular season in the regular season those guys are a legitimate like that two-man game is legitimately good. They play long minutes, they put up big numbers. They are the reason the Clippers got the number two seed with Paul George coming off of double shoulder so surgery and Kawhi Leonard load managing. But what you don't, like in the playoffs, it just doesn't work. Both of those guys are bad enough defensively and limited enough offensively. I think it's easy to, to kind of point at that fourth quarter run, especially today and say, oh, well, Lou and Trez both got picked on and Lou, Lou was getting picked on too. But you can normally cover for a bad defender in your lineup in the NBA right? Like the, you know, the one that obviously comes to mind is like the Suns did it for Steve Nash forever. The Clippers don't necessarily need to do that for Lou Williams. He's certainly not Steve Nash. They've got Patrick Beverly. They can play at point guard, but the Clippers can cover for Lou Williams. And so far in this playoffs, in 137 minutes that Lou Williams has been on the court without Montrez Harrell, the Clippers have a defensive rating of 97.6. That's pretty good. And by the way, they have an offensive rating of 131.9 which is amazing. So 137 minutes of Lou and no Trez, the Clippers have a net rating of plus 34.3. 137 playoff minutes. That is ridiculous. The flip side of it is that in 155 minutes of Lou and Trez sharing the court in the playoffs, the Clippers are a minus 11.2. Those guys can't play together. And Trez at this point is holding Lou back. Like it's not the Lou and Trez game isn't going well. It's Trez is holding Lou back. When Montrez Harrell is on the court, Lou Williams' true shooting percentage is 57.4. When Montrez Harrell is off the court, Lou Williams' true shooting percentage is 66%, right? He is better when Trez is on the court, just like everyone else is on the team.
1: And, and Lucas, you were talking a little bit about Lou being in the game offense-defense for Pat. It's hard to say, though, that the Clippers should kind of go away from somebody like Lou Williams down the stretch, correct?
3: So I I don't think that you ever go away from Lou Williams. Like you don't say, oh, Lou's having a bad first half. Lou had a bad couple of games. We're going to go away from him. But the Clippers have the versatility in their lineup that he doesn't need to be closing games. And we talked about this, I mean, way back before this season ever started, when people are saying, oh, the Clippers don't have, you know, what? Lou Williams is going to get picked on in defense late in games. Um, And we talked about this during the hiatus. Do the Clippers have a Lou Williams problem? The answer is, you know, no, the Clippers don't have a Lou Williams problem because he doesn't need to play down the stretch. He needs to play, and he's good enough to play. But he's not a guy who you need closing games. What's interesting about the struggles for Lou more recently is that it's not so much... Oh, when Lou is playing with the starters down the stretch of the fourth quarter, he's getting picked on on defense. It's that like he's not shooting the ball well in the playoffs. He just hasn't shot the ball well in this playoffs. It, it is what it is. We know that he can shoot. He's missing shots. Uh, he was 0-3 from deep in the fourth quarter tonight. And so my thing is just that if Lou's having a good game, offense defense with Pat and Lou is such a beautiful luxury for Doc Rivers and this Clippers team because they're both so good in both of those roles, but I don't think you need to play offense defense with Pat and Lou if Lou isn't having a good game because Patrick Beverly is a good offensive player. Like Patrick Beverly shot 39% from three this season and 40% from three the last two seasons on this Clippers team for Doc Rivers. So, and he's, you know, he's a good point guard for them offensively too, in terms of his patience, picking his spots to get to the rim. He can totally play late in games offensively. He can hit spot up shots. If Lou Williams is cooking, play offense defense with Pat and Lou, it's great. But when Lou has, is struggling from three, as much as he has been in this postseason, I don't know why you like, why do you go to a guy who's ice cold? To you know, get that like that crucial shot that you're talking about. Why do you go to to a guy that's ice cold instead of playing like either Landry or Pat, frankly, um, who probably are better candidates for that shot in that moment?
1: Yeah, Rob. What do you think that the Clippers kind of struggled with today, um, just in general?
2: Well, I mean, I think as Lucas said, I, the big glaring thing is is playing Trez, and it's kind of similar to what we saw against the Mav series, uh, in the Mav series, which is that Montrezl Harrell can't be on the court when Nikola Jokic is on the court. Can't happen. Um, you know, if Jokic is playing 40 minutes, guess what? Evita Zubots should be playing pretty close to 40. I think going small with Jermichael Green is also a much better option than, than playing Montrezl Harrell. I think you have to get Harrell's minutes in the limited time when Jokic is on the bench. And in this one, he played in 40 minutes. As tough as it might be, I would... You know, if Jokic plays 40 minutes in game six, I'd play Mantra precisely eight minutes. Um, he cannot play defense against Jokic in basically any facet. He can't handle him on the block. He doesn't close out hard enough on his threes. Um, he's too small and Jokic passes right over him. He's just not a very good defender. He's particularly ill-suited to equip against, you know, Jokic. I would match their minutes, um, and again, like maybe you don't think Zubats can play forty. That's fine. I don't really think he can either. Um, but you you adjust by playing Jamaikal Green in small ball lineups, or hey, you know, I I don't really mean this, but dust off Joakim Noah, uh, throw him out there, see what what fun might happen. Woof. Um <laughs> and he, I'm um, here
0: for the more chaos of Joakim Noah. This Michael Green,
3: <laughs> Green is that he's already in the rotation. You know he's good play Jermichael Green
0: yeah until Nikola Jokic posts him up for all eternity as well which isn't going to be a good matchup either for
3: and that has not go- I mean th- that has not been the Clippers problem this series when they've played Jermichael Green at the center it- it's gone fine for them I mean obviously that's a mismatch but what the Clippers get when they put Green in the game is you know Zubots and Harrell are both guys that Jokic is going to score on in the post like Jamichael Green is a better post defender than Montrez Harrell, full stop. So, in the non Zubots minutes, when Harrell's playing, like when Harrell's doing that, I would rather have Jamichael Green or Marcus Morris doing it anyway. They're better post defenders than Trey. And
0: and even to build on that, he has completely swallowed up Jamal Murray whenever he hedges out as well. Because whenever they run the pick and roll at Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, Jamichael Green's in there, he is hedging and making life that much more difficult for Jamal.
3: Yeah. And that's the thing that I, the other thing I was going to say is you're like, no one is going to stop. Jokic in single coverage you just he's one of the best players in the NBA but when Jamal Murray is on the floor at center or I'm sorry when Jamichael Green is on the floor at center for the Clippers they can do a lot of trapping switching rotating because he's a really mobile player he's a guy who uh, you know he's not like a great matchup for a guy like Jamal Murray, obviously, but you trust him on switches more than a traditional center. He can come bring the double team. He can rotate out to the shooter in the far side corner because he's more athletic and more mobile. So yeah, I mean, I get like the idea of, you know, Noah might bring something. He can't possibly be worse than Trez at this point, but I think the Clippers have the answer already in their rotation. I know Rob is also like a huge Jamichael Green advocate. So he's probably right there with me on this. It's just like, the, the answer is so simple. Play the players who are better. Like, the Clippers have the personnel. They just aren't – they're just not
1: using it. TJ, well, I, I also kind of wanted to ask – sorry, Rob. I kind of also wanted to ask you about a couple of your role players. I think you had role players from across the board really chipping, especially, uh, especially late with those huge threes. Uh, but I kind of wanted to ask your Paul Millsap take and your take on his minutes versus, you know, Michael Porter Jr., and, of course, I have to hear what you think about Michael Porter Jr. And just in general, because he's kind of a lightning ride. Uh, I, the, the kid is clearly full of talent, said some questionable things at the end of last game, but backed it up with, a huge, with maybe the biggest shot uh, of the series uh, down the stretch today. But I was also particularly impressed with Paul Millsap and just kind of the leadership he showed in the th- third quarter. What's your take on that, that, um, that rotation battle, and how you feel the minutes should kind of split up. And if you want to just gush gush about MPJ, you can right now for a few
0: minutes. (laughs) I'm going to take a second to talk about Paul Millsap first, because I started this podcast saying I was going to complain about Nuggets fans and I'm going to do it. So Denver Nuggets fans think Paul Millsap is just like garbage. Like he is toxic waste at this point. And that is just so inconceivable to me because Paul Millsap has proven time and time and time again, that he knows what is needed to win basketball games. And there is no chance Denver wins this game. If he doesn't flip the momentum in the third quarter, he changes Changed the complexion of this entire game just by going out and asserting himself in that third quarter. Without that, Denver's dead in the water. That is why, after the game, Jamal Murray told reporters that Paul Millsap, quote, gave them life in the third quarter. And that is exactly what happened. So I know people always want to throw away the veteran that doesn't pop off the screen. It isn't a 6'11 incredible scorer like Michael Porter Jr. is. But there is a reason Paul Millsap has played 130 plus playoff games in his career there's a reason he's been a multiple-time all-star there is a reason that he is probably going to be in the conversation for a potential hall of fame bid like he's that good and people have missed out on his ability to impact this series so that is one thing i had to get off of my chest let's move on to michael porter jr who (laughs) let's be very clear michael porter jr was an abject disaster for three quarters tonight he was not helping on defense he was hesitant and very tentative on offense he wasn't leaving the corner and if he did it was was Coming to the ball very sheepishly, and you could tell that whatever had happened after his post game comments after last game had at least changed the way he thought about the game and it made him overthink what he was doing. So he was not able to help very much at all. That fourth quarter was such a roller coaster of disastrous lows of him shooting inexplicably with seven seconds left, despite the fact that they could have just dribbled the ball out, with him grabbing a potentially game sealing rebound and then nearly turning the ball over with him shooting that three-pointer that arguably won them the game despite being an ofer before it and having somebody in his face the up and down factor of watching his game was just it was almost um it made you kind of have vertigo like it was that ridiculous but by the time you finish it by the time you get to the end and you see the impact you can have you understand now why everybody was so excited about what he can do. The talent level is just out of this world, and the way that he can impact the game just by being gargantuan at his position is so clear, especially with the block that he had in the fourth quarter that really helped the Nuggets also seal this game. So the up and down factor of Michael Porter Jr. will hopefully alleviate itself in time. I do think he was so wrong to make those comments after the game, despite the fact that the message itself was probably right. Uh, Nikaias said this perfectly, Um, in his article that he posted yesterday. But Nakayas wrote that it wasn't the wrong message. It was the wrong messenger. And that's kind of how it felt with Michael Porter Jr. So overall, Michael Porter Jr., the Nuggets don't win this game without him. But man, what a just ridiculous experience that fourth quarter was.
1: Yeah, I have to give credit to him. I mean, I felt like after that block, he was he was like talking throughout the rest of the play, and I was like, I was like, is he is he gonna is he gonna bear down and realize that the play is still going? I feel like that's almost him in a in a capsule. He's just so yes. up and down, but he's young and he's just loaded with talent, and he's just gonna be a roller coaster. You guys are probably gonna have fun with, and then have some sad times with, but ultimately. He hit the biggest shot of the game. I got to give him credit, even I mean, though I, think, I don't want to.
3: <laughs> I think this this is like the Millsap game. I people Porter oh, Jr. Yes. Porter yes. Jr.'s yeah, shot is going to get the attention, but like they win they win this game without Michael Porter Jr. He didn't do anything special. He that was a big shot. It was the dagger shot for sure, but it was an ill advised shot with one minute left in the game. And then he also like like you said, TJ had a couple of decisions down the stretch that like nearly botched them trying to kind of hold off the Clippers in the last minute, including like choosing to shoot on that last play where he, you know, he got the shooting foul on Paul George, but like, just dribble it out. Like, what are you doing? Right. Um, and I think overall he just like, he was really bad defensively in the first half and you know, he hit the plus minus is good. Cause he was on the court while other guys were making threes early in the fourth he ends up with seven points on an ill-advised three late in the game that he shouldn't have taken and four free throws with the Clippers committing intentional fouls in the last minute. I don't think there's much to speak of for Michael Porter jr. In this game. Um, I think he was, was a net negative, but Millsap was the MVP of the game because you can point to that nuggets, hot three point shooting as the reason why they won in the fourth, but they don't even have a chance to be within single digits in the fourth quarter and try to make something happen if Millsap isn't grinding, play in, play out over the course of the night to stop it from really blossoming into like a 20 and 25 point lead.
1: Rob, I, I, think, I think you have something on your <laughs> chest. <laughs> what, would, what, what, what would you like to say about your favorite clipper uh, who does not need introduction, Marcus Morris
2: Sr.? You know, first of all, I would like to say, I think people might be misinterpreting my feelings on Marcus Morris.
1: I think, I think I, I think I'm through just throwing it on the fire too, but yeah. Uh,
2: you know, I am not a fan of Marcus Morris. I was not a fan of the trade, but I'm not, I've not said, at least I hope not that he has not played well in the playoffs. He's has played well. He's played quite well. Um, My issue with the trade, outside of just, you know, the the fear of maybe him taking shots away from Paul George and and Kawhi Leonard and Lou Williams, which has not happened, and his defense being overrated, which it's been fine. It was better in the first um, round against the Mavs than it has been this round, but it's been fine. Um, But my other big worry with him is just his volatility. And, you know, he and Pat Beverly both have, like, this attitude and they chirp and they talk. But Pat Beverly, I think, is just smarter about it. He does it at advantageous moments. He does it in places where he gets his own team fired up. And Marcus Morris, I feel more often than not, just really gets the other team fired up. And this one, like, you know, Paul Millsap, I love Paul Millsap. I 100% agree with TJ. He's one of the most underappreciated NBA players of the past decade. Really, really good. Super smart. Very capable on both ends. He's killed the Clippers for, like, forever uh, since he was on the Jazz. Um but he was pretty quiet in the first half. He's been quiet most of the series. And you know when it seemed like he started playing with more fire? When Marcus Morris decided to get in a shoving match with him for no reason, um, when the Clippers were up and had all the momentum in the world, he got a technical foul, and then you know, Paul Mosap came out and scored 14 points in the third quarter. Um, you know, it's just you need to choose your spots, right? You need to pick and choose. And I just don't think that was a good or smart time to start doing that kind of stuff. And I think it costs the Clippers. Maybe Paul Millsap does that anyway. We don't know. Again, he's a good player. He's a veteran. You know, this could be one of his last times to be in a deep playoff run and he stepped up, but I think a good part of it could have been Marcus Morris firing him up. Um, It's just the kind of stuff that I really don't think the Clippers need. Um, They already have their energy guy and their you know, talkative, trash-talking guy with, with Pat Beverly. Um, and I didn't really think they needed another one. And this was just a perfect example of a game where by the box score, Marcus Morris played well. He hit those two big threes in the third quarter. But I think, um, you know, I, I think what he did to Paul Millsap at the end of the second quarter changed the game in a very bad way for the Clippers.
0: I need to just follow up here because Robert is so dead on the nail right here because I actually had to ask Paul Millsap about this after the game because I was so curious. I asked him if that you know, scuffle, whatever you want to call it, with Marcus Morris changed the tone of the game and it showed the Nuggets weren't going to be punked. They weren't going to be bullied, and that was part of his emphasis in stepping up in the way he did to Marcus Morris, and he said absolutely, and that that moment alone shifted the way the Nuggets approached the rest of the game. And we saw this in live time. The Nuggets just like flipped a switch, which doesn't happen very often in basketball, and they became the more physical team. That was the moment when everything flipped for the Nuggets. If Marcus Morris doesn't bring his elbows high and catch Paul Millsap, I'm not going to say on purpose, but very coincidentally, then that isn't going to bleed to that kind of a response from Denver. There is a very real opportunity that the Clippers could have had to not have the the Nuggets get back in this game if they just didn't rile them up in that way. Paul Millsap found something. He found a Um, a leverage point, if you will, to be able to get that Nuggets team back in the game. And the way they did it was letting Marcus Morris do his foolish stuff and then respond accordingly and then blitz back at the Clippers. So that moment, Paul Millsap actually noted in his post-game presser when I asked him about it and said that that was the moment that changed the way the Nuggets approached the rest of the game.
3: I I mean, I have to offer, I think, a, a big eye roll to that because it's an elimination game in the playoffs. Like they, you're not, you know, you tell me like, oh, it's February and the Clippers are up by 12 in the second quarter and Marcus Morris and Paul Millsap, you know, shove each other down low going for a rebound. And that gets Millsap like a little awake. Fine. I don't like the Nuggets did not need a shove under the basket going for a rebound to get going. I know he says it after the game. I think guys say things in their pressers all the time. I think Luca and Morris both like uh in the first round both liked to talk um after the game whenever there was an altercation and yeah I mean I think that this is like obviously Morris's decision making whenever there's physicality down low is not great it's the same thing with the flagrant two that he got against Luca in the first round which was like there was no not that there's ever a time when you want to get a flagrant two but that wasn't even like a Somewhat like even the bad ways that people rationalize this stuff, like oh he was being an enforcer or matching the physicality or whatever. No, is that Luca kind of bumped him with an elbow on the drive and Marcus got mad and swung at him while he went up for the layup, right? And I think it's the same thing here where they were being physical down low going for the rebound, and you know yeah I mean right the Morris the Morris elbow is high, uh, Millsap gives a shove and then uh, Morris gives the shove after the play which gets the technical foul. There's no reason to give that shove. It's a, it's a mental error to be certain, but I'm going to have to like call a big old BS no, 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 on no, no. that being the like if that if that's true that's actually like hilarious and so <laughs> weak of Denver to like it's oh such we a were, we're pack no, no, no. it in. We were packaging the in nuggets and lose do. by 25 in an elimination
0: it's game. Like a, it's like but, a Michael
1: Jordan. I took that personal. No, <laughs> that's the nuggets. To, that
0: is how they get their motivation. And this is the other thing. Henry Abbott, who is at True Hoop on Twitter, wrote a great piece today about micro decisions and the way that they accumulate. And if you have multiple bad decisions that are happening over and over again on the floor in a, in a, a possession by possession situation, that can stack up. And that is, this, you know, kind of quantifying momentum, if you will. This is one of those things that can reset momentum. So while the Nuggets may have been on their way to a 25 point loss, who knows that was the causality of these buildup of bad micro decisions. But when you can have a hard reset like that, when you can have somebody who not only kind of steps outside of basketball and kind of brings everybody back by just not allowing them to get punked, that can get everybody's collective mindset resetted and ready to go forward. I fully believe that's a very human thing to happen. It takes those kinds of moments to readjust your perspective to get yourself back to where you need to be. And that fully felt like that to
2: me. Yeah. I mean, I I think I come in somewhere in between there. I mean, I think maybe the over-importance of it, you know, maybe, you know, Paul Millsap is a guy who again, maybe is trying to get his own team fired up there. You know, he is the veteran. He's the guy who has, as DJ said, has played at, you know, well over a hundred playoff games. He's been on several deep playoff runs with multiple teams before Um, and you know, he wants to get his own team fired up, but again, like, I just think it's not necessary. And that's like coming back to the Clippers perspective, um, it's just like, they don't need this kind of stuff. They have the game, you know, not in hand because again, the nuggets are good and the nuggets have a superstar and the Clippers are are prone to these kind of collapses, (laughs) but, that was a turning point. And we can argue about how big of a turning point it was or, you know, how much real impact it had on the Nuggets. But it's, I, don't, I think it's hard to deny that it was one. And it's something that the Clippers just can't afford to have because, you know, I think we all still think the Clippers will win the series. Um, again, I picked them in six. I was leaning a little bit more towards seven than five. I think they probably do close out in game six. I think they probably come out really hard. I think Kawhi Leonard is going to be absolutely monstrous in that game. Uh, but like, these are the kind of things that again, like against the Lakers, for example, one game could be the difference if they make it to the finals, you know, if that happens, um, against whichever team comes out at least. And by the way, all three of those teams are playing better basketball than the Clippers right now, uh, by, I would say a considerable margin. Um, like one game, one slip up one Marcus Morris shove that fires up Kyle Lowry or, you know, gets Jason Tatum hitting three step back threes in a row against the guy who was his veteran um, a year or two ago. Like, these are the kind of things that this Clippers team just doesn't need. Um, And it's the main reason I was against the Marcus Morris trade. It's the main reason I will always be against the Marcus Morris trade, even if they win the championship. They didn't need him. And he wins finals MVP. (laughs) If he's finals MVP, I'll eat my words. Uh, i'll do like if if marcus Morris is finals mvp i'll think of a suitable punishment for me and follow through on it um but we choose the punishment
0: instead (laughs) i just
3: wanted to at least put that
0: in there real quick
1: that's just not a thing that's gonna happen
2: (laughs) (laughs) i I think rob will have to
1: wear like a marcus morris jersey for the rest of next season maybe it's a good i was thinking way worse
0: like marcus morris tattoo on the shoulder or something
1: (laughs) (laughs) it's a
3: good bicep <laughs> it's a good thing that it's not going to happen, right? Because it means that Marcus Morris isn't shooting a lot, which, like, I think for the concerns about the way that he can be like a ball stopper and worries that he's going to take shots away from the other guys, I think that actually has not materialized really at all. Like, yeah, I think normally Morris will take about 10 shots a game, and probably about two of them you go, like, eh. Um, but that's pretty, like, I'm fine with that. I'm totally fine with it, especially with him shooting as well as he is and taking pressure off the other guys. But uh, for him to win finals MVP, he would have to get like, he would have to shoot way more than I'm comfortable with. If he shoots enough to win finals MVP, the Clippers aren't winning. Like (laughs) it's a simple, I think that's what it comes down to.
2: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, (laughs) I'll, I'll get off my Marcus Morris tangent here. I did want to get that off my chest though, because I've still been tweeting about him and I've been getting a lot of feedback and there've been a lot of snide, pot shots about how oh like the marcus morris trade was definitely worth it and you know where would yeah i think you actually tweeted about where would the clippers be without marcus morris and my answer is that they would have beat the mavs in six and they'd probably be up three two against the nuggets in this series too well where
3: where would the clippers be without montrez
2: harrell uh they would have won this series already
1: Yeah. they would have already won the championship
2: yeah that's a five game <laughs> series real quick right there Oh man. Uh, But yeah, I shop. You haven't talked very much. um. (laughs) I mean, I'm just listening to takes.
1: I really don't have terribly much else to say. Kawhi and Paul George played well today. It's funny. We've like done this entire Clipper pod without talking about Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, but I thought they were both perfectly acceptable. I mean, I'm just kind of listening to everybody else's takes. Yeah.
2: I mean, I think Paul George was a little quiet in the second half. Like, you know, He missed those three threes in a row in the third quarter, and he didn't really, you know, assert himself much the rest of the game outside of a couple just missed jumpers. I do think he needs to be more consistently aggressive, but he mostly played really well. I thought the first half was the best he played, you know, as a quote-unquote two-way player in the playoffs so far. He's been great on defense the entire series, but I thought in the first half he was particularly good. He looked more confident and, and assertive offensively. I think he's kind of rounding into shape, which is, on the whole, probably the biggest and best news for the Clippers as of right now. And Kawhi Leonard is just unbelievably good. Um, Doc River said after the game that they couldn't have asked more from him. I agree. I think they will get even more from him in game six. I will I will predict a 40-point game from Kawhi Leonard in game six.
1: Ooh, spicy.
2: Lucas I agree you have, I with the he, takes.
1: Yeah,
3: he needs to have like I thought the ball didn't quite get to him enough down the stretch of the fourth quarter of this game. Obviously he made those back-to-back threes. He played great. But I think, like, I, first of all, I think he was out for too long in the fourth quarter. I was saying at 10 minutes. Um, and I think this is actually, TJ, something that you guys were talking about on the Nuggets side in, I want to say game three, where it's like, there's a timeout with like 9.30 left in that game and the Nuggets up by seven. And you, um, I think Adam Mares was a guy who was really hitting on this. And he was like, we're up by seven. There's nine minutes left. You got to bring Joker back in and protect this lead. And Malone tries to buy a couple more minutes. And by the time he comes back in with eight minutes left, the Clippers have gone on an 8-0 run and are up one. And I think that in this game, the Clippers had to bring, uh, they they had to bring Kawhi back earlier. And like, yeah, he was, if he comes back with 10 minutes left in the game, he's going to break 40 minutes. Guess what? This is an elimination game in the second round. Your best player is going to have to play 40 minutes. It's not unusual. It's not a big deal. Um, and I mean, he played what 39 anyway. So it's not like they got him like valuable rest tonight. Paul George played 42, Jokic played 40, Murray played 40. I think that especially it's, it's feels, you know, like maybe an overreaction to be like, Oh, if we brought him in one minute earlier, the game would have been different. But during that first six minutes of the fourth quarter, the Clippers had a net rating of minus 95. So yeah, maybe one less minute of a lineup that has a net rating of uh, minus 95 could have swung the game. So I think, I think, I don't know how much more he'll play. I mean, 39 minutes is a lot. I don't think he'll go over 42, but I think he should have come in earlier in the fourth quarter in this game and gotten more touches down the stretch.
1: Yeah. I think Kawhi Leonard getting more touches is a valuable take. Uh, Wrapping up this pod pretty close here. I think we can finish up with our thoughts on this next game and maybe our thoughts on the series uh with that game or what we see just coming up in general tj we can start with you since you are our guest what do you think
0: I think Denver loses, but I don't think anything from the Nuggets perspective going forward is really going to impact how people view this team. The Nuggets, everything they get from here on out is just a cherry on top. They have proven themselves for what they needed to prove. They were never going to beat this Clippers team. If they were, it was going to be in just a a miraculous fashion that doesn't necessarily hold up in a sustainable way. But Denver proves that they belong, that they're very close to that level, and they see what they need to do now. So I think Denver loses Game 6, but I don't think that matters matters as much anymore I think Denver knows where they're at and that is the most important thing going forward
1: Rob
2: yeah I think I think the Clippers win in game six I think Kawhi Leonard scores 40 points I will say I could see a 40 15 and like seven line from Kawhi Leonard in game six I think he's gonna be angry I think outside of shooting just kind of badly in game two the Nuggets really haven't shown that they can stop him or really even slow him down very much. Despite good defense, you know, I, I think it's actually a good comparison to the map series where Maxi Klebo played very good defense and it just didn't matter too much. I think Jeremy Grant, who's done the bulk of the work on him, um, has done overall a very good job. Jeremy Grant is really impressive, um, but it just doesn't matter because Kawhi Leonard is, is Kawhi Leonard. I think he's got a monster game. I think the Clippers will win. As for the Nuggets... I love Jokic so much. Uh, he's just uh, like even his flopping just gets is so funny to me. When he had that the one in the with like six or seven minutes, minutes left in the fourth quarter, which was just so egregious, um, and and the Clippers were really heated about it, um, and and people on Twitter thought they should challenge. I didn't even care. It's just so funny, um, and he's just so good. Um, his touchdown pass to I think it was either Grant or Craig. It was Millsap, um, but yeah. It was Millsap. Yeah. yeah. It was so good. Uh, I just love watching him play. And the rest of the Nuggets, I can I'm kind of hit or miss on them um to be honest. I think I don't think they'll make a big trade. I think they should make a big trade um this summer if possible to really get that final star or final piece in there. Um but Jokic is a superstar. He's so much fun to watch and uh I I just love him. Uh, so I'll miss watching him just like I miss watching Luka um as as much as they've torched the Clippers, it's, it's really hard to complain. They're just so much fun to watch.
1: Yeah. Lucas, how are you feeling?
3: Yeah. I think the Clippers will win in six. That's what I had coming into this, um, the series. I think the Clippers are the better team, even like, I don't think they played particularly well in games two and three of the series. I thought they overall played well uh, in games four um, and five. Like I, I thought that I thought they played well today. Uh, There was that, you know, fourth quarter collapse, some missed shots and the trez thing. But like as a whole, I think you can feel pretty good about how the Clippers played. It's not like in game two where it's like, man, the Nuggets just like came out with more intensity and the Clippers were kind of playing from behind most of the night Um, game. I thought the Clippers were like the better team tonight. It was kind of the reverse of game three where Denver was the better team, but um, the Clippers were able to steal the win. I think the Clippers were better for more of the game tonight. And Denver stole the win. I have one more thing. I think the sw- the swing point in this series is not just happening with Montrez Harrell's struggles, but it's specifically happening when Harrell and Jokic are on the floor together. So I'm gonna. I, I have a few stats as we close out. In the 47 minutes of the series that Trez has played, but Jokic is off the floor, so Trez is going against Plumley the Clippers have a net rating of plus seven. Plumlee can't do anything to Trez except foul him. Like he's getting the free throw line so much in those minutes, but in the 45 minutes where Trez has played against Jokic, the Clippers have a net rating of minus 12. And what I think is really big here is that I'm not, Zubats is not a Jokic stopper. No one is a Jokic stopper. He's a great, great offensive player, but particularly Jokic has just, is just having such an easy time on offense when Zu is off the floor. I, I'm pulling up the stats from just today right now, but I want to say that, yeah, so I have it right here. In this game, there were eight minutes where Trez and Jokic shared the floor. The Nuggets won those eight minutes by 16 points. Jokic was 4-4 and had 11 points and five rebounds. In the other 32 minutes Jokic played against Zubots, the Nuggets lost by three points. He had 11 points in 32 minutes against Zub, compared to 11 points in eight minutes against Trez, and he shot five of 13 from the field against Zub. So again, he's still, you know, he's, he'll probably do better than that against Zub on average, right? But just an idea of how easy life is for him offensively against Harrell, and I think that Once you get into a situation where you let a team like the nuggets who have a high powered offense, top five offense in the NBA this year, once they get rolling, it's like, there's nothing that you can, you know, you put in your better defenders when they're already red hot and feeling themselves. You're not just going to be able to put the fire out. Right. I think that if doc wants to play Trez with the second unit, I'm cool with it. If he wants to play him against Plumlee, I'm cool with it. Even situationally with multiple starters on the floor, if Jokic is in foul trouble to try to draw a foul on Jokic, okay. But he cannot just be like getting normal center rotation minutes playing against Jokic because the Clippers are losing those minutes where both of them are on the floor in a huge way this series. That's the adjustment that guarantees the Clippers a um, a game six win. Without it, the game's probably a coin flip again.
1: Boy, is Doc going to do it? Is, is Doc going to just stick with just force-feeding these Trez minutes, hoping he can get into some sort of, quote-unquote, rhythm or whatever for the next series, which is also a mismatch for him? Uh, I, I just I, – I don't know if I, – I, I feel like Trez just needs to be playing less than 10 minutes, like a game. And I just feel like all this momentum for the team and this idea that he's six man of the year and that he can be an X-factor down the stretch – it's probably really strong internally. And I feel like that's just a lot of the pull that, Oh, we have to play Trez because he's been such a big part of our team. And every stat I can't, I can't, I don't even know what a huge minus Trez has been anymore from the whole playoffs because he was terrible in the Mavericks series and he's just getting, he's just been bad in this series too. And I really don't know what it's going to take for Doc to kind of realize that. And if Doc is just going to stick with this whole, we have to we have to get Trez in a rhythm and get him going because he hasn't been in the bubble, yada, yada. It's really tough. I do think the Clippers are going to also win in six. Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and say Lou Williams will get loose in the next game and and be a big X-factor. Not a huge limb because Lou's a baller, but he's just been off all playoffs aside from one game against the Mavericks. So let's hope that that's – that's what happens. Um, I can't say enough about the Nuggets. I, I think Clipper fans have prided themselves on, on objectively having some takes on their opposition, especially after we've just had uh, um, <laughs> the crap eaten out of us for many decades by, by the other teams. Um, but the Nuggets are legit. Will Barton is, is a favorite of mine since he was in Portland, and they definitely miss him. Um, if he was in this series, the series might look a little bit different. But I love all of their role players. I wish we could have got a guy like Jeremy Grant for a first rounder back when we were throwing them away for Jeff Green. I think he would have been perfect for, like, the Lob City Clippers. Uh, so watching him, I was expecting him to hit some more shots, but he had a huge shot today. They just have a ton of really quality role players, and they have a couple of really great stars. Nikola Jokic is just fantastic to watch, um, and I want to give them a ton of credit. The series is still not over. Uh, but I think that'll do it for this episode of the Law of the Jam of the Pockets. Anybody have any more takes? <laughs> Thank you for having me on. It's been fun to be on this show. You guys are great. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for coming on, TJ. Lucas, Rob, you guys good?
2: Yeah, yeah we're good. River, Thanks for coming on, six. TJ. We, we appreciate the the Nuggets takes.
1: I'm always here to add my insanity to the chaos, man. It's more fun (laughs) that way.
2: Love the takes from TJ.
1: Thank you to everybody for listening. Leave us a nice review on whatever you listen to us to. Five stars really helps. And as always, go Clippers!
0: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still get in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on, get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads to totals to team, player, and coaching props. Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else you can get in on the season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins division and championship futures all day every day head to bet online today and take full advantage of all of the great sign up bonuses including the one we have here at the blue wire podcast network that is when you can use promo code blue at betonline.ag that's blue wire all one word Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. Thank you all again for sticking around and listening to this podcast. If you missed it, by the way, I had an amazing podcast that I got to do with Jonathan Jarks of the Ringer, and that came out this morning, before Game 5, where I spoke to him about all kinds of stuff. So make sure you go listen to that. Make sure you also follow the guys over at 213Hoops, at 213Hoops on Twitter. That's Lucas Hand, Dr. Shap. Robert Flom was on this one. It was a really, really great show. They do awesome work over there. Please go subscribe to the Lob, the Jam, the podcast, which is their podcast as well, which is where the show was originally recorded for. But again, repurposed, recasted onto the Rocky Mountain Hoops podcast. Podcast to also provide nuggets fans with a glimpse into how clippers reporters are also feeling about this team in comparison to where the denver nuggets are at thank you again to everybody who continually tunes into this podcast thank you to everybody who has left a five-star review on itunes i see them stacking up and getting more and more and more thank you so much for that please also leave a review on there as well in addition to the five-star rating just to add to that um just to kind of sell this podcast that much more. There is nobody to better explain how they like this show than the people who listen to it and enjoy it. Please keep sharing it on social media. Please keep telling your friends about it, all of that fun stuff, because really, I'm not here without you guys thank you again to indeed thank you to bet online go to subscribe to, to te1 greg olson's podcast about the tight end position there is so many cool things going on but for me that's all i got Nuggets will be playing on uh sunday morning i believe at 1 p.m d- uh mountain time to take on the clippers for game six and see if they can find a way to force game seven please keep wearing a mask please stay safe and we'll talk to you guys then